is our light of hope. Somebody say that word hope. Hope. You know, these are uncertain times. But there is hope. And the world needs to hear there is hope. The church needs to be reminded that there is hope. And maybe you sit here this morning and just need to remind yourself or let the Holy Spirit remind you or the Word of God remind you today there is hope. And today's sermon is light of hope. Light of hope. They say that we can live a certain amount of time without no food. I don't know about that but personally, but <laughs> that bothers me. Doesn't sit well with me, but they say you can live a certain amount of time with no food. They say that you can live a shorter amount of time with no water, but it has been said that it's hard to live one day without hope. But I want to tell you this morning in Jesus Christ, there is hope. Somebody say amen this morning. I want to read something. I didn't write this, I wish I had. It was, it's really good. A man named Alex wrote this. It's called Carry the Light. And I want to share this with, this goes with our theme of our church as we're praying for the children and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren and the generations of this church body and of this community. And as we're praying for the Lord to do great things in their lives, there's hope for them. we got to carry the light. It says, don't feel sorry for or fear for your kids or your grandkids Because the world they are growing up in is not what it used to be. Listen to this. God created them and called them for the exact moment in time that they're in. Their life was not a coincidence or an accident. Raise them up to know the power they walk in as children of God. Train them up in the authority of God's word. Teach them to walk in faith, knowing that God is in control. Empower them to know that they can change the world. Don't teach them to be fearful. Don't teach them to be disheartened by the state of the world. Teach them to be hopeful that they can do something about it. I like that. Every person in all of history has been placed in the time that they were because of God's sovereign plan. He knew Daniel could handle the lions. He knew David could handle Goliath. He knew Esther could handle Haman. He knew Peter could handle persecution. And he knows that your child can face whatever challenge they face in their life. He created them specifically for it. Don't be scared for your children, but be honored that God chose you to parent the generation that is facing the biggest challenges of our lifetime. Rise up to the challenge. Raise Daniels and Esthers and Davids and Peters. You know this, God isn't scratching his head wondering what he's going to do with this mess of a world. Have you ever thought about that? God is not seated on his throne this morning wringing his hands and scratching his head and wondering what in the world he's going to do. God had a plan from the beginning and God is working his plan. And the kingdom of heaven is here and the kingdom of heaven is on the way. And that's some of what I'm going to preach about here in just a moment. God has an army he's raising up to drive back the darkness and to make himself known over all of the earth. 
Don't let your fear steal the greatness that God has placed in them. I know it's hard to imagine your children as anything but our sweet little babies, that we must protect from anything that would be hard on them. But they were born for such a time as this. There is hope. Somebody say that word with me, hope. There is hope this morning. You know, I don't have to live in the darkness of this world. There is a light of hope that is in Christ. And I don't want to lose sight. And I don't want you to lose sight of the hope that we have in Christ. And I hope this message this morning, I hope the scripture passages that we're going to look at from Isaiah and then the fulfillment of those scriptures in Matthew will remind us to put our eyes upon the light of hope, our eyes upon Christ in this world. Don't lose sight of Christ. Don't lose sight of hope. If I were a coach today, I would say, keep your eye on the ball. Right? Keep your eye on the ball. Today, as Christians, keep our eyes on Christ. Keep our eyes on hope. Don't be distracted by the nonsense that is around us. I want to read to you, please, from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. In a few moments, we'll go over to Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to see Jesus starting to fulfill this passage this morning. The beautiful thing about the scriptures, you know, I'm preaching from the New Testament this year. And you say, well, pastor, you're going to Isaiah right now. It's because it all leads into the New Testament. It all builds upon itself to Christ. And everything that's happening in the old is fulfilled in the new. And it's a beautiful living book, this Bible that we talk about. But I see here in Isaiah chapter 9 what God does so well. Many times in the Old Testament, where he gives a prophetic writing or prophecy, prediction of the future, and he lays it upon the prophet's heart, and the message is so powerful, there's so much to it, that it is a message to the people right then and there. It is a message that's going to be fulfilled later on. And in this case, if you read all of Isaiah chapter 9, what you're seeing is also a prophecy of the kingdom of God when Christ rules and reigns in the future. There's so many layers to this prophecy, so many layers to this chapter 9. It just shows the beauty and the power of God speaking to his people. Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 and 2. Nevertheless... The gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. See that word distressed? Somebody say stressed. Has anybody this past week said, I am stressed? You ever said, I am so stressed? I am stressed. Here's another. I am stressed out. Anybody say, I am stressed out. Well, the, the, the people who Isaiah was talking to right there were going into captivity. They were under great distress from another country. But he's also talking to us as New Testament believers. He's also talking about the future. And he's talking about the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. He's saying you feel the stress. It's here, but it's not going to have to stay. As when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her 
by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, in the Galilee of the Gentiles. He's talking about this oppression, this stress that came upon his people of his time. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. He's telling them we have hope right now, but there is more hope that is on the way. And in the end, there's going to be hope for all of humanity. That hope is that light that shines through Jesus Christ. But I want to talk first about this, that little word distressed. And I want us to declare this morning, I want us to get in our minds that I'm not going to be stressed. I'm not going to stress. Now you say, yeah, right, pastor. (laughs) Say, yeah, right, pastor. But I want to tell us this morning, when we fix our eyes on the light of Christ, we don't have to live under this continual distressing, stressful state of being. I think today it would be easy for us that we could describe this land, this society, this world that we live in under distress. From 2020, things were not perfect. We act like things were perfect before 2020 sometimes, don't we? We say before the pandemic, but I'll tell you, there was not a lot of great things going on before 2020. But 2020 unleashed, I think, three or four snowballs of different things upon this world. And we live in a land that is easily called a land of distress. And stress upon it. But we as children of God don't have to be stressed out. Let me give you one example of the stress we're under. You already know this. It's an I word. Inflation. Has anybody else felt the effects of inflation? I walked through the grocery store for the first time in in a, a few weeks ago. And I could not believe the prices. I just kept on walking. Kept on walking. (laughs) Put the buggy back. No, I didn't even have a buggy. (laughs) Eggs, $4.99. Carton, it might be worse than that right now. I want to tell you, my wife is in the back back there, and I've told her and the children's department that this year after Easter, you know, we usually have the Easter egg hunt right after the 11 o'clock service. We cannot have an Easter egg hunt this year with those prices. She said, they're plastic. (laughs) I said, maybe maybe we'll have a rock hunt, you know, a rock hunt instead of the eggs since the prices are so high. Maybe everybody can just, in fact, there's a sign-up sheet out in the lobby today. You sign up for the rocks that you're going to bring in and you can paint your rocks. We'll We'll do a rock hunt, a gravel hunt instead of an egg hunt, right? But but the inflation, eggs, $4.99. A carton, you're talking about the hen that laid the golden egg. We've got some hens that are laying some golden eggs this morning. But I say that to say this today. If I'm looking to this world for contentment, if I'm looking to this world for satisfaction, I will always come up lacking. If I'm looking in this world, in the economy of this world, and I'm saying what I can make financially and what I can buy and invest and spend. And if I'm looking at that picture and that is where I'm going to find my contentment, I'm not going to find it. I'm going to always fall short. I'm going to always be discontent. There will always be lacking. 
If I'm looking to this world around me for the peace that passes all understanding, the kind of peace that helps me rest at night, the kind of peace that helps me have a calm even during the bad times, if I'm looking to the things around me or even the people around me for that, I will always have a lacking. But there is a peace that passes all understanding through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We've got to keep our eye on the ball. Keep our eye on him. Keep our eyes on his hope. Look to Christ. Look to him who is the light of our hope. What I see in this passage and what we're going to see in just a moment, we're going to jump to Matthew. Christ has moved in. I know it may not feel like it. I know it may not seem like it. Because one day he's going to rule and reign. And the kingdom of heaven is going to be so visible to us. And we'll rule and reign with him and live with him. And all those wonderful things we, li- we read about in the book of Revelation. But, I, but right now, if we as believers could understand and grasp this and remind ourselves, Christ has moved in to this world. Jesus came and died and paid the price for our sins. And he can live in us and through us even while this world around us is evil. The kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is in you and in me. The kingdom of heaven. And Christ has moved in. Christ has moved in. This week when you're going through the days of Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday and things are getting stressful or things are getting frustrating or, or it just whatever, Remind yourself, if you're a child of God, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, Christ has moved in. And we're not living this life alone. We're not living this life alone. Somebody say amen this morning. I'm not living this life alone. The kingdom of heaven has arrived. Let me ask this question. It's a good time to ask it before we... They're going to put up Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. We're going to read, we're going to read that that passage together. But before I read that, it's a good place right here just to say, has Christ moved into your life? Has Christ moved into your life? Have you invited him and allowed him? Have you accepted the great plan of salvation through Jesus Christ, right? All, man, all humanity was born in sin and all of us must be born again. We must receive Jesus Christ as our personal personal Lord and Savior and allow him to come in and forgive us of our sins and change our lives and begin a relationship with him. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Look with me, Matthew 4, 12 through 17. Here's one fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 9. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions. Hold this scripture for just a second, please. In the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. Didn't we just see those areas? Didn't Isaiah just say to those people in Isaiah's time, you're under distress, you're under attack, but a great light has shone. What he was doing was giving them hope then, but he was prophesying and saying there is a light, a greater light that you could ever imagine. That light, he is Jesus Christ. And what I see in Jesus' earthly ministry right here is Jesus literally, physically, 
took up roots and moved to this area. And no, way, no wonder Isaiah said, a light has shone in your darkness. And we see the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Look with me, verse 14. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Christ moved in. Christ moved into their place. And upon those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. Look at verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach. He started his ministry. This great light moved in and he began to preach. His message was the same message that John the Baptist had just been preaching before him. And Jesus' first word in his message was repent. Say the word repent. Repent means come to Christ. Receive salvation and turn from our sin. He said repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was his message. Here's the light. The light has arrived. Here's the message. The message has been communicated. So I asked this this morning, this question. Why would I want to sit in darkness? Why would I want to sit in darkness? Sometimes I walk in a room or a living room and my wife is reading. And it's somewhat dark. I say, why don't you turn the light on? No, don't turn that on. She doesn't want it on. She wants to sit in the dark. I don't know. I've tried to work with her. <laughs> Bentley, you got to help me. But sometimes I'll just go in a room and one of them will be sitting and I'll just turn the light on. I said, let me put a little light, shine a little light on the subject here. I like lights. I like lights. Sometimes I'll just get home before everybody else. It's starting to get a little bit dark. I'll just go through and start turning on lights. We're not even upstairs. I just want to turn on some lights. I just like lights. If I get over here on Wednesday nights a little bit earlier than everybody else, I'll just go walk all through the building and turn every light on. I say, we're ready when they come. We're going to have the lights on. That's why our electric bill is $5 more every month than it should be. I just like lights. I like to turn the lights on. But why would one sit in darkness? Why would we sit in darkness? Why would I sit in my living room and try to read something when the light switch is right there? I could turn it on and I could see it. Why do we sit in darkness? Spiritually speaking, why do we sit in darkness? Thought about that, and you could probably come up with some other answers to this. I got three quick things of, of why I think maybe people sit in darkness. One is this. Sometimes I think people sit in darkness because they're unconcerned. They're unconcerned. They still haven't really heard the gospel. Now, there's a lot to right, right here at this point. One part of this is, we as the church who have heard and received, we need to make sure we're communicating and showing the gospel. We need to be shining the light because there's some who are around us that are sitting in the darkness, unconcerned because they've really never heard the gospel. We have a responsibility to shine that light so they would hear. But I propose there are also a group that sit under this unconcern who maybe come to church 
pretty regularly or maybe very regularly. And they might come and sit and they're hearing, but they're not hearing. Is that all right this morning? It's being put out, it's being presented, but they're just really not receiving it. And I don't want to be that person. And I don't want you to be that person. I don't want to be the person that comes and sits on the pew and somebody tries their very best to to sing the gospel to me and somebody tries their very best to preach the gospel to me and, and I come week after week and I sit and it's being presented. I'm hearing it a little bit in my physical, but I'm really not receiving it. Is that all right this morning? Sitting unconcerned, and I feel like there are people like that. They come, they sit on the pews even week after week after week, but the gospel is really not being received in their heart and in their lives, and there's no repentance, and there's no life changed, and they're just sitting in darkness unconcerned. Don't let that be you. Look at your neighbor and say, don't let that be you. I don't want to be that. I don't want to sit and hear the gospel, but not really hear the gospel. Unconcerned. Two, why do some people sit in darkness? Some people are just content. I said unconcerned, but some people are just content to sit in the darkness. Because some people are still enjoying The pleasures of sin. Wow. That's true though. Scripture says that there is pleasure in sin. You say, what are you talking about, pastor? Right? The scripture says there is pleasure in sin. There's the rest of that. Right? For a season. Some people are content. In their lives right now to sit in darkness because they are still enjoying the pleasures of sin. And they have not reached the point in their life and in their journey where the consequences and the destruction and the death of their sins are catching up to them. And so they're sitting content Enjoying the pleasures of sin. And somebody with love and compassion and conviction needs to share with them. It's time to get out of that darkness before sin ruins your life. They're content. Number three. Pastor Greg, you are a barrel fun today. <laughs> Number three, why would one sit in darkness? Unconcerned, content. What about this? Compromise. I won't dig around this if I can get it out today. Compromise. Let me try to say it this way, make my point this way. If I've been in the dark for so long and you come in and turn the light on, what it hurts my eyes. We have a very compassionate youth pastor over there, Pastor Chad, I mean Brad. I was, his, I was his assistant cabin leader at, at summer camp this summer. And I, I've worked camps for several years now. And I've been a cabin leader for several years. And, and I would get up early, get ready, everything. And then I would lay back down on my bunk for maybe an hour until it was time to get everybody up. And when I was ready to get everybody up, I would make an announcement and I would flip the lights on. Well, I thought that was 
good and fine. But when after spending a week with Pastor Brad and being his assistant, I saw such compassion and love out of him that I didn't have. He would give him a 15-minute warning. He, I thought that was good. I never did that. And, and, and so about 15 minutes, he would say, okay, everybody, it's time to get up, and I'll be turning the lights on in about 15 minutes. And so they had time to get their eyes ready to adjust to that light. You know, when the light comes, I, I thought that was very compassionate. I was just mean. I'm like, okay, all right, up. turn the light on, let's go. Let's go, all right, we got to get to breakfast, let's go. But when you turn on the light after you've been in the darkness so long, it hurts your eyes, doesn't it? And my point here this morning, why do some people sit in darkness? They're compromised. They have sat in the light so long, they know the truth. These are people I'm preaching about right here. They know the truth of the gospel. These are the people that will look at this pastor, they'll look at you, and they'll say, I know I need to get back into church. I know I need to turn my life around. They know it, but they don't do it because they're compromised, because they know the choices. And I'm preaching with love this morning. I'm I'm not hammering anybody. They know that the choices that they have made in life have led them down this path. But they know if they give their heart and life to Jesus Christ and step out of the darkness and into the light, they're going to have to make some tough decisions and they're going to have to shift their life over into the light and they know it's going to hurt. Now, now, why are you preaching this, Pastor? One, if that applies to you, come home, come to Christ, pay the price. It'll be worth it. Yeah, you're going to have to make some tough decisions. But two, I'm preaching that because I'm preaching to some people in here that you're starting your lives and you don't have to start your life on a compromised path. You don't have to take steps away from what you've been trained and what you've been taught. And then years later realize, oh my Lord, I've got to come back home. And I've got to make some tough decisions and get my life in alignment with Christ. Am I preaching all right this morning? We don't have to be compromised. I don't have to be content. I don't have to be unconcerned. I don't have to sit in the dark. The light has moved in. The light is in the room. And his light can shine upon my path, upon my mind, upon my heart, and upon my life. I refuse even to sit in the darkness. How about you this morning? I refuse to sit in the darkness. The light has come. Look, I want to look at Matthew 4.16 again to take me into my one of many final points. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. We just looked at that part. I want to look at the second part. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Shadow of death. They were sitting in A region of shadow of death. My point here is, I'm not going to be afraid of the shadow. I'm not going to be afraid of the shadow. Do you know this? If there is a shadow, there has to be a light somewhere. If there is a shadow somewhere on the scene, there's got to be a light somewhere. 
And too many times in my life when the shadow of death, the shadow of what could go wrong, the shadow of the, of the pressure, the shadow of the problem, I'm focusing on that shadow when I need to step back and say, whoa, 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 whoa where's the light? Where is the light? There has to be. If there is a shadow, there has to be light somewhere. And I need to focus not on the shadow, but I need to focus on the light. What I'm trying to say biblically here is find out where God is working in your life and focus on that. You might say, I do not like the situation. I don't like the shadow. I don't like the obstacle. I don't like what I'm dealing with right now. But I've got to step back and I've got to say, all right, Lord, how are you working in my life right now? Why am I going through this? Why are you allowing this? Why is this here? I'm going to step back away from that though. And I'm going to look and I'm going to say, how are you working in me and through me because of this? So what is your shadow? What is your diagnosis? Diagnoses. What is your diagnosis this morning? You know what a diagnosis is? It's the identification of the nature of an illness or the identification of a problem. What is your diagnosis this morning? What is your shadow this morning? Who gave it to you? Who gave you the diagnosis? Was it a departed person? Was it somebody that was in your life for a season and, and they gave you a, a, a piece of their mind and they didn't have any left and they <laughs> left on? I mean, who gave it to you? Who gave you the diagnosis? Was it a dear friend that, that told you these things? Was it the department at work? When, and they said, well, we no longer need you, or we're going to have to change things, or we're going to scale back. Who gave you the diagnosis? Was it a doctor? Was it a physician? Looked at your chart, looked at your blood work, looked at your lab work, and they gave you this diagnosis. Was it a, what I would call a dream crasher? Somebody just let the air out of your balloon and your tires, and now you just feel doubtful about what God's called you to do, or what you can be as a person, as a Christian, as a family? Who gave it to you? What is your shadow? What is your diagnosis? Who gave it to you? Now, let me ask this question. Was it God? Was it God? Let me pastor right here. Because if I, if I just wanted us to, you know, shout and jump and get excited right there, I'd say, God did not give it to you. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Right? I, I could do that, but I got to pastor you. I got to preach the full counsel of the, of the Word of God. So when I went through down that list and when I went through and said, what's your diagnosis? Who gave it to you? Did God give it to you? God might have. And He might not have. Is that fair preaching this morning? Is that worth the offering today? <laughs> Sometimes we'll go down through this list, sometimes we'll look at the shadows, we'll look at the challenges, and we'll say, well, that's not of God, or, or, or no, 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 no. But maybe God is allowing it because he's working in you and working through you. 
And sometimes it is just the shadow. Sometimes it's just those voices. And you need to look at that and say, I, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. God did not give me that diagnosis. Now we can shout on that one. Who gave you the diagnosis? Was it God? And find out where he is working in and through your life. Get your eyes off of the shadow, off of the diagnosis, off of the situation, and on to God and what God is doing. Romans has promised me that he will work all things for good to them who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. I don't have to be afraid of the shadow. If it's the enemy and he's just tormenting me, I don't have to be afraid of it. If it's something that God is allowing to cultivate my life and change my life, I don't have to be afraid of that either. I'm not going to be afraid of the shadow. The light has moved in. Somebody say amen this morning. My final point of several. Matthew 4, 17. Talk about the kingdom of heaven that is at hand. And we'll take communion together that reminds us of that. After all of this, Jesus moved in geographically. The prophecy was fulfilled. Light has come to those regions. Light has come to us. You read further in Isaiah chapter 9. He's talking about light that's going to come in the millennial reign of Christ. It's a beautiful picture here this morning. But here's Jesus' message. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Say here. Here. The kingdom of heaven is here. Christ has come. We're part of his kingdom. He's part of our lives as believers. The kingdom of God has come and what does that mean? Look at Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to go back to this prophecy. Chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. You say, you're going all Christmassy on me here. We don't have to read these scriptures just at Christmas time. Because we use them at Christmas time, but largely they're pointing us to his second advent. His second coming, when he shall rule and reign for unto us, say us, say me, unto me, unto me, a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. You see, he didn't fulfill that part on his first coming, but one day the governments of this world will all be upon his shoulder and he will rule and reign righteously. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Of the increase of his peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and to establish it. To establish his kingdom with judgment and justice. Somebody say amen to the reading of the word. Praise be to God. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're living in his kingdom and one day we will live, rule, and reign with him in his kingdom.